the sun had already set and I just needed to find a flat spot to camp and I was frustrated. It's like, okay, Andrew, the only way out is north. That That's kind of a mantra I said to myself a lot towards the end. It's like one foot in front of the other, the only way out is north. And that sounds like a very es- like escapist um, perspective of trail. And I, it's, not, it's not really, that wasn't my mindset then. I think it was just, hey, this is temporary. You're good. You're going to find camp. You're going to blow up your thermorest and you're going to be all cozy here in a bit. But right now, you just got to keep hiking. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Peanut, known off trail as Andrew Glenn. He was fresh off the trail when we spoke and still processing his experience from this summer. He went big, connecting the CDT and Canada's Great Divide Trail, a total of over 3,700 miles with the final 10 days hiked without seeing another person. So sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful hike that started as a project and ended up capturing his heart. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Peanut. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? It's good. How's it going for you? It's good. I I kind of wanted to start this out with, so what happened on the... CDT GDT trip. <laughs> right. There were, it was sort of like, I, uh, when I went to research, it was sort of like, okay, we're going to do this big thing. And then it was, then there was like literally silence. And I know you, you kind of got off of social media, um, which I have a feeling is probably where a lot of the stuff was posted. Right. Yep. Um, so you left me hanging. Yeah, yeah. It, as of today, I'm I'm back on social, so okay. um, it kind of feels good to have that that content in um, kind of my more candid um, moments out living again. So, yes, it was an unbelievable five months. Um, I mean, I think three hikers and anyone that's kind of tackled a project like this can identify with. It's just the the beast that this project um, was, and from logistics to actual hiking to now post trail, and you know dealing with an experience that con- continues to live in my everyday and continues to show itself in really surprising ways. Um, so it was. A very special and important five months, but so starting from starting from the beginning, I mean, New Mexico showed me just the importance of community and 
starting off, it felt a lot like the Pacific Crest Trail. I hiked the PCT in 2017, and the the community and the uh, kind of family of hikers I was around, I, I think, really built me up for the rest of the trail. Um, I hiked with people for about the first thousand miles until about just southern Colorado and from there on out it was mostly solo hopping around a few other people for uh, the rest of Colorado and a little bit of Wyoming and then north of there it was solo so I think I fed off of the the energy and the life and the kind of the identity that this people spoke into me so New Mexico is special in, in that regard. Colorado taught me tenacity and discipline uh, with a record snow year. Yes. Uh, I was familiar <laughs> familiar with that from the PCT in uh, 2017, but Colorado is a, it's a beast. It's a whole different type of snow than I was used to in this era. So getting to kind of call audibles left and right went from, hiking to skiing to snowshoes to <laughs> falling on my face all the time. It was a constant struggle of figuring out what's next and kind of running with the flow. And then Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana, it was this restful, um, I mean, restful as through hiking can be, but <laughs> a, a this journey of um, kind of glory in the everyday and just seeing how New Mexico and Colorado had prepped me for the rest of the CDT. And then once I got to Canada, um, the Great Divide Trail, it felt like I just kind of restarted a through hike. The the Great Divide Trail, I think if anyone is even slightly considering hiking it, they've got to put it on their calendar ASAP because it is the wild trail. It's a beast and I feel like it's getting wilder and wilder in some regards because it's not as maintained and some areas are losing their protection. What does that mean? Yeah. So the, especially near Mount Robson, it's specifically on the North boundary trail there. Uh, some of the trails up there are being decommissioned. And so there is, for example, the trail, follows the Jack Pine River in one section and traditionally the trail follows the Jack Pine and there's been more or less somewhat of a footpath mostly driven by equestrian traffic but now because there's so much overgrowth and it's not maintained different routes are being created to say higher and so it's kind of this network and spider web of trails that create the GDT specifically and especially up north but it's a it's a choose your own adventure for sure and especially in those last 200 250 miles well and you had made a, a mention of the fact that uh the GDT the CDT can require some navigation to it and I've heard that from other people but the GDT is is even more wild and more like map and compass and and that kind of navigation. Was that what you found? Yeah, I did. And thankfully, um, there is 
there's a gut hook. I mean, there's, there's an app for that. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's gut hook for the GDT as well. And, oh, wow. uh, the hikers that have, yes, it's in the, there's pretty good alternates on there as well. I mean, very, very loose. Um, it's not <laughs> as, it can be not as thorough as, uh, some of the alternates are found on the CDT and the PCT, but on the great divide trail, um, for example, there's an alternate called the six pass alternate. And I think it's just South. I believe it's just, uh, let me think. Yeah. It's just South of Jasper. And the, uh, on go, it has, has a line that's okay, I'm going to follow this. And I realize it's completely as the crow flies. And so, uh, it's really pretty just, self-navigation in the Alpine. So I didn't carry any paper maps for uh, the CDT or the GDT. I relied pretty much completely on digital, um, carrying several backup batteries uh, for my phone. But yeah, the GDT definitely required more navigation skills that I think Colorado prepped me for. Because, of course, when you're on snow, you don't have a trail to follow. And so being able to assess my surroundings, figure out where I am, have a good understanding of where I'm going um, and where I've come from. But also, yeah, I think after a while it starts to feel, it's kind of like a language. You, you understand it and yes, there's surprises and you, you learn its complexities a little bit more. But as you continue North, I just found that it became a little bit easier, um, even though the trail became harder, if that makes sense. Did you find that you kind of had a sixth sense about where you should be versus where you were so that if you did get off trail or, or lose some navigation, not necessarily that you were like a homing pigeon and could lock back on, but, but that you could kind of <laughs> right. sense that, that, you know, this, this doesn't feel right. I need to get the map out. I need to really look around me, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And as soon as I thought that I was doing a pretty good job of that, I would be humbled very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way it works. Right. Uh, I, I did find that. And uh, it's kind of, you know, spidey senses um, when exactly. you're out there. And especially, I think being solo brings a whole different aspect to it. And having kind of a, having it, the trail required a, hyper awareness of where I was at all times, particularly the last 10 days, because the last 10 days, yeah, I was so for all of that, I didn't see another hiker and that was a pretty gnarly experience. One of, I mean, the, I would say it was my favorite stint of hiking I've ever had um, being solo, but, it brought a very raw sense of self. Um, I had a new understanding of safety in those 10 days. It was the most navigation I experienced the entire trail. And going from kind of four or five, six day stretches to eight, nine, 10 day carries, um, being solo, and the closest road or access point being a three-day hike away in any direction. 
uh, yeah, it, it brought a very, uh, like I said, raw sense of self and um, a hmm, there's a there's a new understanding of self in those those ten days that I'm still still unpacking and I'm still approaching very uh, very softly as I get further and further away from my end date but it, it was absolutely spectacular now when you say approaching softly that would generally lead me to think that there are things that you need or want to unpack for yourself or that there are some raw places that you're poking is that fair Yes, absolutely. And I, it's funny, even after hiking 3,500 miles, 3,600 miles, um, up until that point, I thought I had kind of approached all areas of myself and had looked into these kind of corners of self. Um, and I had understand like, I understood where my breaking point was in Colorado and I understood where, um, you know, <laughs> when I, you know, after the 200th post hole, I'd throw my trekking pole and be like, okay, that's my <laughs> limit. Or <laughs> it, with the, with the sunrises, I, I knew what would trigger different emotions. And then there's something about the last stretches where I, or that last stretch where I kind of, saw a new part of myself that is very unfamiliar and that I, I really, really loved. So as I, as I unpack it, it's kind of, uh, in reflection very de- delicately mm-hmm. looking at those last, yeah, those last 200 miles. And I know that sounds very abstract and very ethereal, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's something I'm still, and I know that I will continue to over the next, um, you know, two weeks, two months, two years. I mean, it'll just continue. I'll continue to learn from this summer and especially that last stretch into Kakwa Lake. It, I was extremely humbled. And I, for one of the first times on trail, and I guess the, kind of the last time too, I did not feel safe in I think that's what kind of triggered the, mm. um, yeah, we kind of triggered a different uh, response mm. uh, to trail that I hadn't responded to it before. What was making you not feel safe? So in that last stretch, I had divvied out my food and I, I think I had, I think it was nine days of food. And then I carried, I always carry an extra day, especially if it's, uh, a more remote section. And by day five, I'd already had to replay miles and I was already into the 10th day of food. And oh, so, wow. yeah. And so, well, I wasn't on day 10. I was already using my mm-hmm. kind of surplus of food, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, totally. I'd, I'd, I'd use my wiggle room. And so looking at the next few miles and the days were shorter by that point being in central slash northern Canada in late September 
the yeah. days are a lot shorter than they okay. were in New Mexico. Yeah, I was, I was used to work uh, hiking uh, 12, 14 hour days. And by that point, I was doing eight or nine, and my body was exhausted. And then a snowstorm hit probably five days out from the end. And so I think it was the remoteness um, met with kind of a question mark of, am I going to be able to finish? Uh, and yes, that was always, uh, I, I always knew the possibility of not being able to finish. And I started off trail being just celebrating any mile I was able to hike. But at that point it was like, okay, my, my hike might end at Robson instead of Kakwa, or it might end with an SOS instead of, hiking out from Kakwa Lake. And so kind of understanding that reality was pretty humbling. Um, especially by that point, I, I thought that I had through hiking under my belt and I had kind of checked that box. I'm like, yes, okay, I can hike. But as these trails do, whether it's the Washita Trail in Arkansas or the GDT or the PCT or the AT, it's the, all these trails continue to, yet both lead us to new abilities, but also really recognize our capacity, what we're really able to do. I mean, we are, I think it's a cliche, but we're guests in these spaces and uh, any mile that we get to hike is, um, it's worth celebrating. Yeah. All of these trails have lessons to teach. For sure. Now, when you started the trail or before you started the trail, you, there, you had a mention or you mentioned about fears, you know, that you had some fears. And I'm sure that probably a lot of those fears are, are fears that everybody has starting out on something quite that immense. But how did what you were fearing at the beginning or before the beginning compare to what you actually found out there? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that because that same fear that I had before the trail is kind of a very similar fear I'm facing now post-trail. And before the, starting the CDT to the GDT, I was really worried about community. And uh, coming from the PCT, I had an incredible trail family. Uh, I was able to share almost every single mile on the PCT with others. Uh, there's a brief stint in Northern California where I was solo before meeting with, with the rest of the gang, but I was, I was worried about the, just kind of the known reality of the pace I would have to keep and how that would put me ahead of the bubbles in and I was, I mean, I was stressing about it. And I also, on top of trail family, trail family in Austin, where I live, had experienced friendships that I really hadn't experienced before. And living close with people, realizing the proximity, the power of proximity and friendships, and starting a project that pretty much laid out, hey, 
you're going to be hiking with people for a little bit, but after that, probably not so much. It was a really scary thing for me. And so going into trail, as I said, New Mexico was wonderful, really just fruitful with just a ton of other hikers. I mean, we're getting into so much shit from double zeros left and right in like <laughs> France and Chama and uh, entering Colorado with all of our little anxieties about, or actually very large anxieties about avalanche and snow conditions. Uh, we, that was such a gift. And then once we hit Colorado, many people flipped up to Canada and to start hiking southbound, which was such a joy for me a month and a half, two months later, because I had to see all those people again right. after hiking a couple, you know, hundred hundreds of miles, maybe a thousand or two miles later, being able to see people every single day that I already knew and was able to catch up and pop down on the side of the trail and yeah. And just reminisce about New Mexico, but also just check in uh, just real time, how everyone's doing really mitigated those fears um, from of being isolated, being lonely, but also what the CDT taught me and what I think a lot of the GDT kind of confirmed was that being alone doesn't have to look like loneliness. It can look like solitude. And so realizing and understanding just how to work loneliness into solitude and kind of morph it and how to uh, kind of make it a little bit more valuable and press into areas where I'm a little bit less comfortable of being alone. Uh, but uh, yeah, realizing how much growth comes from spending time solo. So that was my kind of the life cycle of that fear. And then now post trail. Yes. I'm back in Austin and so many friendships there, but it's kind of that reintegrating back into uh, traditional life. And I think there's a lot of loneliness that can come after trail. Uh, definitely experienced that after the PCT and how to mitigate those fears now learning from what I learned on trail. And so it's pressing into friendships. It's challenging each other. It's learning how to have a metaphorical sit down on the side of the trail and catch up for five <laughs> seconds, but back, but back in Austin with people that I've never hiked before. So it's right. special. It's definitely a, a working progress. I'm, I'm learning a lot about, um, about that subject in general, but that was definitely my fear going into it. And in reflection, it's really cool to see how, um, yeah, I, I was worried about being alone and I wasn't alone, but it wasn't loneliness. Now you were supposed to hike part of the trail with somebody else, correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So there's an amazing woman, uh, giggles danielle she is a hiker based in san francisco and we met we met briefly on the pct in 2017 but 
we don't really remember meeting each other, but we ran into each other when I was hiking the JMT in 2018. I was hiking with my dad and she was doing the Sierra Higher Out. So we met each other in the middle of the Sierra, realized that we had kind of met before. We had a lot of mutual <laughs> friends. <laughs> Two months later at PCT Days, uh, we were kind of dreaming about projects. We both knew that we were doing the CDT and then I forget which one of us brought up the GDT. We're both like, wait, you're thinking about doing that too. I'm thinking about doing it. And so from there, we started planning some of the miles together, specifically uh, looking at the GDT. So seeing if our timelines could match up for the GDT, where we knew that it was going to be a, a whole different. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, different logistics also like Canada's weird with like yeah. their postal system. I mean, there's a whole like other type of logistics that it was, uh, comforting to know that I could possibly have someone there to hike that trail with. But as we got down into planning, we started looking at Colorado and with the snow year, we thought like, okay, what if we skied Colorado and so we started planning that, but also realizing the reality of, okay, we're both through hikers aligning schedules. It's <laughs> a really tough thing to do. And especially with different start dates. So we had kind of like, a, um, I'd say like a, a dream plan, but also held it very loosely and had right. kind of both had to prioritize our own hikes. And so, and hikes change as, like as you hike north, you call different audibles and that's what happened. So we hiked a lot of New Mexico together. And by the time we got to Colorado with this, with this snowfall, uh, we made different decisions. So Danielle, she, uh, hiked or she ended up flipping up to Canada, took some, a little bit of time off with just, she had some family issues going on. Um, and so she needed to be back in, SF um, for that. And so when she came back to trail, she started at Canada and hiked south, um, potentially with the idea of maybe doing the GDT, but also she wanted to create um, some really neat routes through Montana, through Wyoming, uh, specifically through Yellowstone and the Wonder for High Route. So she, she did the CDT and more, uh, but our kind of dream from when she was in San Francisco and I was in Austin and we we're kind of idealizing the CDT, the GDT, uh, didn't really pan out. So. Got it. Okay. Yeah. How was that mentally? I mean, I know as, as much as we all say to ourselves, Oh, you know, this is very flexible and, it, you know, it may not happen and, and all of that. We also tend to go, you know, in the back of our brain, this is going to happen. And so when it doesn't happen, that can be, that can be a struggle. How was that for you? Right. Just, are you asking with giggles and eyes? 
Yeah, with with your your guys's plan. I mean, it's it's one thing to go into and go, okay, yes, this could be a very solo hike, and and I get it. And giggles and I have a very loose plan, and and we may or may not hike together. But I would guess that somewhere in the back of your brain was the thought that giggles and I are hiking together, and we're going to get this done. And then when it doesn't happen, and you are truly going to take on this thing by yourself, there is a I don't even know what the word would be. Um, there's a struggle against that pre that conception, that preconception that you had. Absolutely. And I think I, that, that kind of, that definitely sunk in in Colorado, but Colorado is throwing so many curveballs at me. Uh, that was just <laughs> way down on the list. Into, <laughs> right. So it's just like, okay, this is just another thing that I'm adapting to. And right, right now I'm, I'm solo and this is, this is what I know. And I have to kind of prioritize my own hike right now. Um, but as it's something that I was going to be doing most of Colorado by myself, um, I started hiking by myself just south of Monarch Pass. Um, so pretty, pretty Southern Colorado. I took a, an alternate just south of there through, Creed and through, um, through like a blip of the San Juans. Colorado is interesting down south, um, especially with just avalanche. So I think my my mind is mostly around is yeah. I think my mind was focused on just getting the miles done, if that makes sense, uh, but also. Yeah, uh, I was also learning a new skill during that time. I had never snowshoed before, uh, ever. <laughs> I, I've never <laughs> touched snowshoes. So I bought snowshoes off Craigslist. And so uh, I, wow. I think that, yeah, I think that's where, that's where my, my mind was mostly. Um, but there was a point yeah, there is a point in central Colorado where that reality that you're, that you're talking about and um, kind of the difficulty of, uh, I guess the weight of being solo started to sink in. And I remember getting to a point and just, it was down in a, a in an actual literal valley, not being <laughs> metaphorical here. <laughs> Also being Thank you for the clarification on that. Also one. being very literal, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like descended the pass and is actually dry. So just kind of hunkered down on the side of a river and have a picture of me. I just like wanted to capture the motion on my face, and I kind of put my hoodie over my face and was just like, "This is rough." In like, this through hiking is not all that it's cracked up to be. It is hard and it is painful my legs are bleeding from postholing is this really what i want to do and i that there were a lot of moments where i questioned the kind of mental health side of my project um, <laughs> i wanted to probably uh, but, yeah. and i like kind of like say that loosely, but it was a very serious moment of, is this the best thing for me right now? Is this what is going to 
make the most healthy Andrew or most healthy peanut, uh, you know, yes, right now in the month, but also post trail. And, um, as I kind of leaned into the intricacies of that project and how, um, I, I, I realized that I was kind of becoming a new person that really prioritized discipline. And I feel like I hadn't been, or I hadn't been very disciplined before, um, I guess June of last year, um, or not to that scale at least. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I had to press into the positives and the growth instead of kind of like the scarier things that I, I felt thinking in. It makes sense. It makes sense. It, to yeah. go forward, you have to do that. Right. And just kind of take a, several breaks to assess what's going on and yeah, just do a self-check. Is this healthy? And I recommend that for any through hiker. Don't don't beat yourself up by just hiking north. I think that there's a lot of courage and a lot of respect for knowing when when to call it and when to or when to create an alternate. Whether it's getting off trail, taking time off, turning a through hike into a long ass section hike or just getting off trail completely. I think there's a lot of respect in kind of the creative side of long distance hiking, which is creating your own project. Um, even if that means fewer miles than you set off to do. Not to literally the thing that just flowed through my brain as you were saying that and, and not to, quote Kenny Rogers, but to quote Kenny Rogers, you got to know when to hold them and know when oh, to yeah, hold them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the uh, ever quotable Kenny Rogers. Mm, preach. <laughs> <laughs> How did you hear about the, the GDT? So I actually read about it in a coffee table book that I have. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, right. It, I mean, it's totally like an Instagrammy, like just aesthetic. Like it just sat on, literally just sat on my coffee table for a while. And it's just beautiful trails around the world. Uh, I think, I don't know if any of the three major scenic trails are listed. I believe the JMT is listed but the Great Divide Trail was on there. Um, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this looks like something I might want to do. And it was a book that I got for $5 at an uh, outdoor retailer. And it, I just bought it off a booth at the end of the trade show. And so it just it was kind of by chance that I had the book and then actually read the book. <laughs> actually opened uh, it and... <laughs> Right, yeah, and like it didn't just sit on my coffee table. I think one day I was just sitting in Austin. I was like, "Oh, flip through this," and found the GDT. And I had heard about it just through the hiker sphere. Um, it was definitely after my PCT hike. I didn't really know 
much about um, long distance trails other than the three main ones before I hiked the PCT. Um, but as I looked into it, this is a beautiful route. And then I saw where it started and oh, it, <laughs> it, it, like it hits hmm. Montana. The CDT ends in Montana, Canada. I wonder if like, there's a route that to connect them. Like, I wonder if there's a trail to connect them. And then I realized they literally end and start at the same point. And oh, wow. once I realized that the idea of connecting them, just, I could not shake that idea. It, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. I couldn't imagine not connecting them. It just, it was a route that made sense from the beginning when I realized that they were kind of on top of each other they were essentially one long trail. Exactly. And so when I, when I saw it and when I kind of put the two maps together, Oh yeah. Yes. This, this is awesome. And then as I looked into it, I was like, okay, this would be very difficult to do in a single hiking season. It kind of sounds like something I might want to do. Um, <laughs> after the PCT. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after I can the PCT, totally hear your brain I, moving. This is really difficult. Right. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Oh. <laughs> you're right you know it, all the gears are turning and uh there are definitely some fireworks going off and it was a party in my brain when i realized that the two trails were already connected and so and then as i was researching there's a quote from backpacker magazine that i came across and it says if the two trails were connected it would create without a doubt the most jaw-dropping inspiring wilderness trail on earth in that just kind of sealed it that made my plan yeah that made my plans concrete for sure and so as i researched i didn't really come across much beta of other hikers that had done it and so that kind of made me take like two two steps forward and two steps back like i was just kind of like in this like weird limbo of like do i want to do this yes i do and I was also nervous about the idea of failing. Um, I knew that I had the ability to hike the CDT, but I mean, of course, planes like logistics and planes and everything aside, um, I felt that I was able to do the CDT, but doing the CDT and GDT together, I knew the odds were heavily against me. And uh, I usually, yeah, I kind of like to play it a little bit on the safer side or at least know that, yeah, at least talk to people that have have done it. And unfortunately, I didn't get to do that before I went out. And so... Because nobody had done it or nobody, you couldn't find anybody who had done it? I, I, I hadn't found anybody. And I didn't find anybody until about... I'd say like three weeks ago. Um, <laughs> so that's um, helpful. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm like, oh, sweet. Well, let's like have coffee and talk about our mental issues because this is a crazy <laughs> project. Um, but no, it, it, yeah. Once I kind of looked into it and also just the, the idea, it wasn't, Yes, I romanticized the project and the 
kind of the idea of connecting the two trails, but also just the route itself. It is, that's what just captured my heart of the Rockies, the Canadian Rockies. It was this wild frontier that I had never even thought about before. And I didn't, I, if you had talked to 17 year old Andrew and told him that he'd be hiking in just hiking in Canada, I'd probably be like, nah, <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. That's, that's not, yeah, that's not me. Um, but it was, yeah, it, it was this kind of a lot of people and myself included just dream about Patagonia and, just kind of like far off places. And for me, that's what the Canadian Alpine and the Canadian Rockies were. And then looking at places like Glacier and the Wind River Range and parts of Yellowstone that I hadn't been to and deep in Colorado and the Collegiate Peaks is all these places that I've been wanting to go to, but didn't really have like the, yeah, I just hadn't gone yet. And so looking at a route that connected both familiar kind of this Colorado that I'd come to love from traveling there from Texas. I was like all Texans do. <laughs> uh, they, uh, it was like familiar and unfamiliar and through it. I just saw a beautiful route that I really wanted to be a part of and be a guest in. How were and or what were the logistics that you had to deal with for the GDT? For the GDT? Yeah. Um, so by the time I got to Canada, uh, it was September 25th. Or no, oh, that's not wow. true. Oh, wow. No, nope, nope, that's not true. Okay. By the time I got to Canada, it was August <laughs> It was August 25th. That's still uh, getting so, later in the season. It, yeah, and so... Looking at the last, yeah, 700 miles of the trail, yeah, 700 miles of the GDT, uh, knowing that I had out a month to do it, that was like my main kind of pressing logistic of just timing and pace. And also, by that time, I was so focused on the CDT, I hadn't planned a single GDT resupply yet. And it, those are pretty remote stretches. And so, yeah, my resupplies were gas stations and small convenience stores and extremely overpriced, um, like <laughs> Pop-Tarts and <laughs> Cliff Bars. Uh, I feel like my body is still healing from how I treated it um, with my fine cuisine on the GDP. <laughs> Your high nutrition dense diet. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, uh, rough. But yeah, so I think the, the just the logistics that experience on both the PCT and the CDT kind of were escalated on the GDT food resupplies, hiking like miles per day. Um, but then there's this other aspect that. I hadn't really completely considered, which was the the route finding through riverbeds with willows, and like just it's it was a 
my pace was so uncertain and that was mm. the main logistic that like I just face every single day of, okay, what, what am I going to, you know, what does today look like? Am I going to hike 20 miles? Am I going to hike nine? That happened one day. I hiked nine miles. I was like, are you kidding me? I am <laughs> four and a half months into this thing. Why am I hiking nine miles today? And I mean, my pace was just completely shattered, which definitely paralleled to my confidence in my um, view of self. I, there were definitely times where I wasn't super stoked with myself and I was actually pretty frustrated with my ability. I felt like I was, I, I love, I really love planning miles. Um, anyone that's ever hiked with me will ever, like probably say that I look at it way too much and I <laughs> write down miles. I like write down like the week's mile mileage on my arm, just to, like keep pace with myself and like keep myself accountable with miles and then day in and day out, not meeting my daily goal. That was the main logistic that handicapped me for a lot of trail. How did you keep yourself positive? I threw a lot of dance parties on <laughs> the GDT and the CDT. I and a lot of solo solo dancing. It there is something incredibly therapeutic about dancing into the wilderness by yourself. Even dancing like in the city by yourself, it's fun. But just setting the pack down or dancing with the pack on, it's fine. Choose your own adventure, but. <laughs> <laughs> but taking a moment to take yourself out of the through hike, know that you are literally dancing in wilderness, dancing in the Alpine, surrounded by glacier and by just beautiful trees and moss and just sprawling hills of whatever grasses are native to that state or province. It's, um, that was something that would turn my turn my mood around almost guaranteed every time. And so if I was frustrated, if I was like just cussing up a storm, I mean there are times where I would just yell fuck into the, <laughs> into the, the void. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and it was like it would echo through, you know, the granite cliffs or I guess up in Canada, sandstone. Actually, I have no idea. Don't test my geology. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, ooh. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were times where I'd just get so frustrated with myself and it's like, okay, Andrew, what are you doing? It is okay. Let's take a moment. Let's dance it out. Let's eat another Cliff Bar or Snickers or Canadian Kit Kat. Um, as compared to an American Kit Kat? Oh, Canadian Kit Kats are the shit. They're so good. Um, How are they different? About, I think they... Okay, something... It's the magic of Canada? I think... Yeah, I think everyone's going to disagree with me and just tell me that they're normal, but there's something about their chocolate up there. I think they like have a special type of milk chocolate that makes their candy bars better. But... <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Sorry, I know. Just I like taking my, <laughs> no, I like it. But taking myself out of 
that they're like for just five seconds or as long as it takes to turn my mood around and then taking big deep breaths saying thank you to the sun saying thank you to whatever feeling I was feeling whether it was cold or tired or just overjoyed whatever very visceral feeling I was feeling um and just taking space out of gratitude that would almost guaranteed turn my mood around and then sometimes sometimes I didn't really have time to take a break especially if it was at the end of the day and it was I was exhausted and the sun had already set and I just needed to find a flat spot to camp and I was frustrated it's like okay Andrew the only way out is north um that's that's kind of a mantra I said to myself a lot towards the end it's like one foot in front of the other the only way out is north and that sounds like a very escapist um, perspective of trail and it's not it's not really that wasn't my mindset then I think it was just hey this is temporary you're Mm -hmm. good you're gonna find camp you're gonna blow up your thermorest and you're gonna be all cozy here in a bit but right now you just gotta keep hiking I've heard, I've heard from a lot of people that particularly when it gets difficult or when you start questioning, you've got to break it down to the smallest incremental piece, which it sounds like for you was, you know, head north, one foot in front of the other, that kind of thing. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, yeah, it's definitely all about breaking it down and but also, yeah, looking at the micro, but also looking at the macro too and realizing where I'd come from and um, kind of these challenges that I'd faced on the PCT. I look back to relationships from high school that were really, really tough in moments where I didn't really think I was going to get through it, pain that I hadn't really experienced before. Um, you know, when I was 16, 17 years old. And so on the PCT, I was 23, reflecting back on that. On the CDT, I was looking at the PCT. And when I was on the GDT, I was looking at the CDT. So, I mean, I think there's always something to um, kind of look back on and just realize, okay, I'm human. To be human is a beautiful thing. And we have so much power and our bodies are capable of so much. Our minds are capable of so much. Um, and then also just the army and the network of people I have behind me, um, incredible family of support. I mean, it just, it was, I felt so much of their, yeah, they're just, just joy for me being on trail and the support, whether it's a pair of shoes or uh, a text message or just good vibes sent my way. I, yeah, I, I felt it even um, in like my most remote spaces. That's important. And that's really important. Mm-hmm. I want to circle back to the dance parties just a little bit. Yeah. What, what was your playlist? What was your, what was your big go-to song? <laughs> Yeah, you probably know where I'm leading with this, but um, but we'll get there. 
<laughs> um, yeah. So I, I had a couple go-to jams. I, Maggie Rogers is definitely my go-to artist on trail. And I, she, she's a woman that, um, kind of hit the scene a few years ago and she incorporates a lot of audio from her backpacking trips into her music. Um, she's kind of like this kind of pop icon now, but a lot of people don't know is that she has a lot of backpacking experience specifically in Alaska with Knowles. And so in some of her songs, in the sense, you'll hear glacier movement and you'll hear frogs. It's very like small undertones, but, um, the kind of heartbeat of her songs, uh, are spaces that I was living in. And so, um, and I mean, they were just freaking jams too. So love, love me some Maggie. And then, uh, I, I created a playlist, uh, I think in Colorado question mark, I think it's Colorado where I was listening. I love to listen to music that I've been listening to for the past like three or four years. I don't typically branch out. I just listen to the same shit over and over again. And so I was like, okay, I need some other James to bump to. And so I created a playlist and it was called, uh, why aren't, why aren't you hiking yet? And it was <laughs> this playlist <laughs> that I needed to listen to when it was cold in the morning and I didn't want to put on my fucking snowshoes at all. And I, so I created the playlist, made it collaborative and invited people to contribute songs. And oh, very cool. Yeah. And over the course of my hike, it gained a fun following. I know a lot of your hikers from um, all these different trails that were following it and adding songs to it, adding their like most pump up song to it and so listen to that dance to that a lot um but mainly i stuck to maggie rogers definitely some taylor swift um i'm, I'm a swifty i don't know if she's like the hiking community a lot but <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm a taylor swift fan for show and and uh at least on the pct you also seem to be a disney fan oh yeah Oh, the, yes. I love me some Disney music. So I have three older, a little Moana. Oh, yes. So I have three older sisters and they train me really well with my musical taste. Uh, <laughs> so, oh yeah. Listen to a lot of, yeah. I mean, there's something about listening to Colors of the Wind while hiking. It's like, yes, I am Bocahontas right now. I do, I do hear the wolf cried to the blue corn moon. Like it's like, it's I, every aspect of that song. Like, this is me. I am Pocahontas. I am Moana. I am Aladdin. I am all of these things. <laughs> so, um, love me some Disney music too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was seeing that on your, your PCT or one of the notes that you had for your PCT was, was, uh, was funny, but I can totally see it out there because so much of their music or the music for their for their movies and such is, you know, about lifting you up, about accomplishing hard things, and and all of that. Right. It's a 
narrative of, I mean, every good story has, you know, a character that is doing their thing, a challenge comes, kind of destroys their life, and then they, um, yeah, they they build it back up from the power inside of themselves. And so, um, I know that's a very simple simple theme, but I found it a lot in my own through hiking in power myself, power that I saw others finding in themselves, um, kind of like secondhand pride that I would feel. And I felt that a lot on the PCT of being so proud of, and it, it sounds so, um, like, uh, like I'm looking down on others. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but, uh, shoot. Yeah. Nope. It's not coming. Uh, but looking at others, seeing how many miles are hiking and such badasses. And then teaching myself to turn that same type of pride around to myself and I'm taking pride in whatever miles I had hiked that day. And, um, and then dancing out to some good old Disney music. And dancing it out. It's so funny. Like you saying that all of a sudden it was like, it, it triggered something in my head. I was like, why do I know that phrase? Why do I know that phrase? And then I was like, Oh, Grey's Anatomy. Of course. <laughs> oh, well, yep. Yeah, watch that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that, maybe it soaked into you. Uh, Meredith it's and Christina's probably. dancing it out. Yeah. I mean, it, I definitely have a lot of Christina in me, so it makes sense. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Love me some Christina. <laughs> oh. um, what no. a gem. <laughs> Absolutely. Both the character and the actor, actually. But anyway, um, where did the the trail name Peanut come from? Yeah, so on the PCT, I uh, was hiking in, I mean, I was hiking in the desert as you do on the PCT. And (laughs) I, (laughs) yep. Uh, And for those that have hiked the PCT, the first good pit, it's just a party of people. I mean, they're, it's so fun. It's like, it's like first day of school every single day because you're meeting people and just having a blast. So it was probably within the first, two weeks and I was at a water source and there were probably like 30 people at that water source. Um, just cause it was, it was one that there, there wasn't much water in any direct or either direction. And so a lot of people had huddled at this, uh, small stream to just take a little rest for the day, um, or for the afternoon. And, so we're all standing there and uh, two women come hiking up and they're like looking at the ground, following um, these footprints and they follow the footprints up to me and just start yelling peanut at me. They're like peanut, peanut, that's you. And what? apparently <laughs> they, they had uh, seen a peanut in my footprint or in my shoe print. I wear Nikes on trail. I wear Nike wild horses and okay. not many people do. And so my footprint had stood out to them and they had seen the shape. And so they'd been following me for like a day or two. 
And <laughs> because because there are so many people at the water source and when they're yelling Tina at me, it it stuck. And so um, I think that my footprint looks a little bit more like a nutter butter, but I'm glad that I'm going with peanut and not nutter butter. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's literally the shape of your footprint, essentially, or the shape of the shoe print. The shoe print, yeah. It's what they, um, were, it's what yep. they were referred to. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it's just the shape of uh, shape of my shoe print, but I've yeah, I I've been wild horses ever since, and I don't know if I'll change. It feels like it feels kind of wrong or against my identity to switch to another yeah. shoe. And they've been trusty so far, so I'll stick to it. They've gotten you on a few miles. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> <laughs> just a wee bit. <laughs> There's a picture of you. There's a couple of pictures of you. In the North Cascades with a pool float. <laughs> yes. Did you carry that thing with you on the off chance? That... Yeah. So... Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> to paint a picture, this, this pool float, it's, it's a donut. Um, it's a very bright pink donut with sprinkles, uh, pool float. And with a bite out of it. Yeah. With a bite out of it, it's, it's a classic donut. It's the donut that you like, dream about on trail. Um, <laughs> if only it was edible, but I had, yeah, I was hiking in Washington with my trail family and on the PCT, I was not ultralight at all. Like not even a tiny bit trying to be ultralight. Uh, I had a very large pack. I think I had a 30 pound base weight starting out. Um, took it down to 25. Ooh. Uh, and then by the end I was carrying Harry Potter books. I was carrying <laughs> pool float. I was carrying way too much food, jars of Nutella. Uh, really, I was just like, okay, this is, this is my life out here. So I'm going to, I'm going to make the most of it. And so you're going to be comfortable. There was exactly. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have some fun. So, uh, there's this lake that I had read about, um, I think either on Gut Hook or online or saw a picture of it. It's called Micah Lake and it's in the North Cascades. It is absolutely stunning. It is remarkable. We come across and it feels like it's just hanging there in the sky, just with a cat, like uh, a panorama of mountains behind and so as we were hiking um i <clears throat> oh let's see somewhere probably around like snow quality i ordered the yeah was, <laughs> you ordered the pool float. i think it was like snow quality yeah like ordered the pool float like amazon prime I was like yes got that shit down got the pool float um packed it out and I was like, this is the best decision of my life. And only blew it up a few times, but finally got to Micah Lake and got there. And the crew of people that had been hiking around for 1,400 miles kind of all slinkied together at this lake. It was kind of a like, magical moment. And my trail family, we were known for skinny dipping in lakes and just like taking our clothes off at like borders and just like 
and state lines and important, uh, like fun things to celebrate our trail family. We're called the naked sun cups, um, uh, <laughs> just cause we're, we're just a party. Um, but we get to this lake is freezing. Uh, like yes. the water's cold. It is very cold outside and everyone starts to like hesitate for a bit. And it's like, uh, I think we're going to keep on hiking. Like, it's a beautiful lake, but like, the water is pretty far down there. And I don't know. I, the excuses started rolling and I was like, no, 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 no. We are all getting in this lake. And so I run down, I blow my pool float. I jump in, uh, next, um, Unger and Wasabi jump in. And by the end of it, we probably have like 12 people in the lake swimming around. And that is probably one of my, favorite moments of through hiking um and i'm so glad that the donut float was a catalyst to that moment because it's something that i'll cherish for a long time how often do you see a pool float a donut pool float no less <laughs> on the pct yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah right yeah it's it's a fun little um I love irony and I love like, I love it when people bring costumes to the terminus. I see, I've seen uh, people in suits at the Northern terminus of the BCT. I've today, I saw some Halloween costumes on the AT um, on social media. And so it's, it's a fun thing. And I think it's back to that notion of, okay, what we're doing, yes, it's badass and it's awesome. It's, it's hardcore, um, but it's also, it's hiking and we're living outside and we get to have these moments that are just pretty goofy. And I think that is like the true spirit of through hiking. And when we talk about these moments, these are the moments that we're talking about. Um, or at least these are the moments I hope to talk about. And I hope um, my ego doesn't lead with mileage and completed projects, but it leads with these funky moments of donut pool floats and Harry Potter books and weird foods and drinks that I've packed out of town. <laughs> you saying that makes me want to go, okay, so what weird food did you pack out of town? <laughs> <laughs> I... I was known to pack out a lot of, I mean, this is like not that weird, but for a through hiker, it's weird. I packed out a lot of vegetables, which like doesn't make sense for like calories or weight or like really much else. But I would, um, if the town would allow, I would pack out like bell peppers or um, a bag of mini carrots or apples or I don't know. I was quick to, pack out um yeah veggies were kind of my go-to and then um of course uh, state lines and international borders a <laughs> good course. champagne or a beer or you know whatever fun thing um i found at that convenience store was definitely my go-to did you find yourself actually you know what i'm going to step back from that question for a second um on the PCT, you were you were using a stove, right? I was, yes. Okay. Yeah, I carried a jet boil. Perfect. But on the CDT, GDT, you cold soaked? Did you stick with that? 
Yeah, so I cold soaked all of the CDT and the first leg of the GDT. And once I started to understand where or the timing of the GDT, I, I switched to a stove um, mainly for safety. And then I realized that it's just really fun to have a stove. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I cold soaked all of the CDT and during my through hike with my dad on the JMT, that's when I tested out cold soaking. Um, he carried a stove. I cold soaked and really fell in love with it. I, especially if you're trying to kind of like go through miles um, pretty quickly and you don't have time for food prep or if I found at the end of the day, I just wanted to shove food in my face and fall asleep. And so if I was diligent enough to start cold soaking before I got to camp, um, it was really clutch because I didn't have really any time with food prep. I could just eat and fall asleep. But on the GDT, it was, Definitely, it was a lifesaver. I and I, I hope I'm not using that too dramatically, but uh, <laughs> Go ahead. I, yeah, well, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, just being able to like have hot, even just like hot water to warm up when it was just bitter cold. That that was a a really that was a move for sure, and I recommend if you're doing any type of hiking in really wet snow. So not last season's snowpack. I think you're fine cold soaking, but if you're encountering new fresh snow, it definitely carry a stove because uh, I think that's just a safety thing. But how did, if you are, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, how did your diet change between carrying a stove and not carrying a stove. Did the menu change at all? So with this, uh, let's see on the PCT, I ate, I ate a lot. I ate, uh, Idahoans and a, uh, like a pasta side or a rice side every single night. And I would have those hot every single night. And then, yeah, no, it, I guess it didn't really change. I incorporated couscous because I would eat that for my lunches. And so I cold soaked a lot of my lunches on the CDT and would cold soak dinners. found couscous was a lot lighter than carrying tortillas and peanut butter and whatever else I was putting on the tortilla, whether it's salami or cheese or combination of both. Um, just being able to carry couscous, cold soak that. So... Yeah, it changed a little bit just around lunches, but for the most part, anything I was cooking, I was able to cold soak. And that's kind of what I've heard. But how was the taste difference or the, (laughs) I don't know, the the Uh, thought of cold soaking something is kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I I get you. It, after a while, my yeah, my relationship with food got weird because it, I just saw it as fuel. Um, I just saw it as calories, and it, it also besides like candy, um, I ate a lot of candy. I really need to go to the dentist, but 
I <laughs> I would reward myself. So I would with meals they're purely fuel and then with kind of the things that I enjoyed I would ration it to myself on a reward base. And so if I hiked in enough miles I would give myself, you know, a certain amount of sour patch kids or some Swedish fish or, you know, uh Canadian Kit Kat or whatever, I I was able to, or I started rewarding myself with food, which is not a healthy mindset when it comes right. to um, the regular world. So, yeah, exactly. And so, kind of adapting back, my relationship with food was a little bit skewed, and it took a lot of. Um, I mean, I'm only five weeks off trail right now, but a lot of my meals before I'm traveling right now, but I cooked all of my own meals just to kind of reset that relationship with food and realizing that food is a craft and it's best when shared with other people and it doesn't have to just look like a reward based or purely fuel. It's it's a thing to be shared. And how are you doing with that reprogramming? I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah, with food, I'm doing well. Other things, <laughs> not so hot. But uh, I think with the food, I'm doing pretty well. I'm traveling internationally right now. And so it's, I feel like a lot of my food is kind of like decided for me or like meals right. are kind of lined up. But yeah, I, I'm my hiker hunger has died down, thankfully. And it's, I feel like a little bit more back in my body. How long did it take you or did it take hiker hunger to hit you on the PCT versus the CDT? Yeah. Hiker hunger hit me on the PCT. I remember it hitting me at, I believe it was paradise Valley cafe, which is right before I wild or for me, it was right before the, fire alternate before Idlewild and so like mile 180-ish 200 and I think that was a little bit ago but I think it was um, (laughs) like a week and a half to that's when I first noticed like oh I'm eating a lot more than I did back home because we sat at Paradise Valley Cafe for hours and we just got like meals like meal after meal after meal there uh, i sat there with my buddy gq and that was that was really we had a blast because it was like wait we don't have to decide between pancakes and french toast because we, we can just eat both. Both. <laughs> yeah like oh this is kind of awesome <laughs> um, and then <laughs> and then on the gd or on the cdt it was pretty it was pretty fast i was i was eating a lot pretty quickly um and i think that's just because of yeah what i was kind of doing to my body and hiking a lot pretty quickly right i would assume that on the on the pct the miles that you were doing started out slower uh actually no um i surprised myself on the pct so on the first day of the PCT, I hiked to Lake Marina, and then second day I hiked, uh, which is 20 miles in, 
And then second day, I hiked 28 miles a little bit past Mount Laguna. And then after that, I think it was like another 27. So I started the off. Races. Yeah, and I, I'm not athletic, um, or I, I'm not sporty, I should say. Um, I'm trying to like relearn vocabulary. But yeah, sports weren't really my thing, like in high school or college or, you know, wasn't, um, it's not, yeah, competition wasn't much of my thing and so starting off kind of strong on the pct um or at least starting off with higher higher mileage was definitely a surprise and just kind of my hiking style i guess oh to be young again <laughs> young <legs. laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but even that being said though at least on the pct you were noting naps 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 and more naps Wherever oh and God. whenever. Yes. 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 Oh, I love naps. And <laughs> I got like a kind of got a nickname for my trail name. Oh, it's just funny to have like a pseudonym for your pseudonym. But um, <laughs> <laughs> my my buddy GQ in the Sierra in 17 started calling me the sleeping peanut because we'd like take a break and immediately I'd be sleeping. So I don't really know. I'm sure there's some type of like blood work I need to get done to like tell me why I'm sleeping all the time. But, um, yeah, I, I love naps and I really love breaks in general. And I think that's why I enjoy doing higher mileage, um, and trying to maintain a quicker pace, even if it means waking up early so I can squeeze in some breaks. Um, and especially if I get to like share those breaks with others, like I think there's something magical about being in like a, like in a forest or like near a stream bed or even like exposed on a path, taking naps with like five other people. <laughs> I think it's like very childlike and um, just like this, it's like a, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of nap time outside. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of naps, how, not that you would nap on it, but how was your sleep system? How did it change from the PCT to the CDT, GDT? Yeah. Uh, so on the PCT, I had a 20 degree mount, Western mountaineering quilt, or no, bag. Yeah, 20 degree Western mountaineering bag with a six panel Z light the closed cell foam pad and that, yeah, that was my sleep system. And then I would put my clothes in my bug net and that would be my pillow. And I loved that setup. It definitely worked well for me on the PCT. And then on the JMT in 2018, I did the closed cell pad with a quilt. And I realized that that doesn't, really work well um i also didn't have sleeping pad straps and so it was kind of a nightmare with drafts and so i learned from that looking at the cdt i changed from a close old pad to getting my first ever inflatable pad i'd never camped on an inflatable pad before and switched 
and started off with the Uber light from Thermarest, their new ultralight pad. And I don't love, yeah, I don't like to trash talk gear, but I think it, I, I do want to like warn hikers about that pad because it's, not super reliable. I know a lot of the hikers that have had pot pads from using the Uber light and like kind of destroyed, not really like repairable pads. So if you're considering getting the Uber light, not awesome. And then, so I carried that most of the, most of New Mexico. And then I switched to the Xtherm, I think. The, the four season one, the really long, kind of heavier white one. Okay. I think it's called the Thermarest Xtherm. So that was, and it was awesome. I am very, very hard on my gear. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just hard on my gear. And so I found that that one just was able to stand the test of me, just like kind of throwing things around and not being as careful. And then with my quilt, I was product testing a quilt from Kamek, um, which is an outdoor brand based down in Austin. And I was product testing their 15 degree ultralight quilt through New Mexico. And then I switched to a 10 degree quilt for the remainder of trail. And it was fantastic. It is a great quilt. I got to um, help design it with actually one of my best friends in Austin. He is a product designer at Kamek. And so being able to like have a hand in the design and watch it come to life and then being able to use it on trail, know that, yeah, one of my close friends, yeah, had a, had a hand in making it. It was really special. So that lasted me the rest of trail and really loved my sleep setup. That's something I definitely recommend. Yeah. So both the 15 degree and the 10 degree quilt were both from Kamek? Yeah, they were both from Kamek. Mm -hmm. Got it. So what did you do differently with the quilt that made it workable versus your experience on the JMT with a quilt? Or was it literally just a different manufacturer solved the problem? I think with a different manufacturer solved the problem because they were both closed to the box. I had an enlightened equipment quilt from on the JMT. And I also think it was kind of a user error because I was using it with a close cell foam pad Ah, and switching to an inflatable definitely helps. And then also just the, the down that Kamek uses was able to, I think it filled out the quilt a little bit more so that it, I didn't, I didn't use sleeping pad straps with the quilt. Okay. Um, I was just able to toss it over me, even in Colorado in snow, like camping directly on snow and then in fresh snow in Canada. And I stayed warm at night that in talking about like actual life-saving piece of gear was that quilt. And because by the end on the GDT, every single thing that I owned was wet except my quilt. I just, I, prioritize keeping that dry and everything else is like everything else I'm going to try to keep dry, but my quilt, I have to keep dry and yeah, because at night temperatures dropped and I was able to 
stay warm. So, Did you have a separate sleeping outfit that was also dry or, or were you just using what you were hiking in? Yeah, I did, but it didn't stay dry. Um, okay. because they, yeah, a lot of clothes I was using just because it was nonstop rain, snow towards the end, it like switched dry clothes and then that got wet and it's kind of a mess towards the end. And so literally the only dry piece of gear I had was my quilt. You were a wet mess. Yeah, it was a wet mess. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about it. And I probably should have kind of talked to this earlier, but in reflection, it's never as, never quite as bad as you, as you like once remembered it to be. And yep. maybe there's, there's a lot of kind of psychological safety going on. But I think back and like, oh, like, yes, that was hard. And I still kind of feel the weight of that, those moments. But I, I remember just feeling completely unsafe in not trusting my own judgment and just like choosing to make camp even at like 4.35 in the afternoon because I, I didn't trust my judgment moving forward. And so, yeah, it's always grateful for a dry sleep system to kind of recalibrate the brain, understand, hey, you're safe, you have shelter, you're warm, it's okay. Reassess the situation. Tomorrow's a new day. You got to keep on hiking. Yeah. It, it's probably, particularly in our, in our cozy world, it's probably severely underrated how important it is to be dry and warm. You know, the, it's almost like fire, you know, the, the psychological effect of that. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So definitely, yeah, learned that. And it's interesting how just the, just the idea of safety and it's something that I'm trying to still unpack a little bit more, but yeah, looking at things like being dry, being warm, but also like, okay, where do I find safety in relationships and in friendships and how, who makes me feel safe and who makes me feel like I'm wet and cold and like not (laughs) safe (laughs) and how do I how do I seek relationships that bring warmth and bring that safety so that's something that I'm learning and trying to put to practice right now that's a really powerful concept you know I mean a, a lot of people talk about the the safer unsafe relationships in terms of like energy, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. do, do people fill you up with energy or do they pull energy from you? Right. But it's interesting. And now you've got my brain spinning about relationships in relate in the context of, of safety of wet and, cold and miserable or some variation thereof and warm and dry and, you know, comforting, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Okay. I, you've planted the seed. You know this, right? That this is what's going <laughs> to, this is what's going to cause my brain to be spinning for the next 48 <laughs> hours at least. Good. Good. Well, <laughs> my brain's still spinning five weeks later. So is it, goes beyond 48 hours, I apologize in advance. 
no, this is a good one. It's interesting. You know, you're, you're talking about, you know, five weeks later, you're still unpacking it and, and all of the other things or a lot of the other things that happened to you, for you, with you on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's interesting in so much as so many times I've, I've found that you know the 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 levels of something the peeling back the onion so to speak you know each layer that you peel off as you peel it off reveals something else below it that is that can be so powerful but it's also not the end because there are so many layers to things and you just you know you gradually you you conscientiously you ah, god what is the word you gratefully peel the the layers off um, to reveal, you know, what is below the the power that you have below that, and uh, and with that lovely <laughs> yeah. uh, moment, yeah. uh, I wanted to touch base with you on Whitney. Because it was Whitney and your experience of Whitney and, and or your your description of your experience of Whitney seemed, sounded so powerful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mount Whitney, it's, it's a special one. Um, it's the most popular side trail on the PCT. Um, but... In 2017, I didn't really plan to do it at first. I think as I kind of approached Kennedy Meadows, it was like, well, well, probably not this year because of snowpack and we just need to keep on making miles. And then I think leaving KM is like, oh no, we're, we're going to do it. Um, and I don't really know what shifted there. Probably just the people I was hiking around and just an understanding of um, at least uh, wanting to wanting to try it out, see what's up. But we approached Mount Whitney. We camped at Crabtree Meadows and got to camp. So I was there with my buddy Monk and my buddy GQ. We were hiking the Sierra together, and when when we got there, we were told that we weren't like we weren't going to make it for sunrise. It's impossible to get there for sunrise um, with the current conditions the snow is just a little bit too much and like you'll get there in early daylight but just yeah try your best but you probably won't get to the top for for sunrise and uh, I don't think I had that kind of competitive upper of your own drive yet I think I have that now but um, I, I was with some guys that did, and I'm so glad that I, I did because or I was with those those guys because we woke up probably at midnight, put on our crampons, and started hiking and started hiking up Mount Whitney, and the the switchbacks were just covered in ice. Uh, we were very early season, especially for 2017. 
Oh, I'd say we were early season for 2017. I believe we left KM on June 1st. Um, so put us to Mount Whitney first week of June. And the approach up was rough, especially just by moonlight. Uh, but looking down at a frozen guitar lake, I mean, every single step up Mount Whitney was spectacular. And that was my first time really doing any type of mountaineering, anything close to that degree. I think it's important to note before the PCT, my first backpacking trip was a year before I started trail. I had come from my backpack, like a camping and hiking background, but actual backpacking, very minimal mountaineering was very, very, very little, actually nothing at all. And so figuring out like the correct way to hold an ice axe while on Mount Whitney was, um, it was kind of, it was funny, but as we ascended, uh, we realized our chances of making it for sunrise were, were increasing. Um, and so after you kind of finish the switchbacks, which for us, they were frozen. So we just kind of went, we cut the switchbacks. It was back safer up. to just climb up. Right. Yeah. It was safer to just kind of go rock climbing style instead of side slope with crampons. Um, mm-hmm. So went up and then as you're up there with, oh gosh, I wish I could just name all of the geological elements up there, but like uh, the needles and just, walking up from, I mean, you pass the turn off to go down Whitney portal, you turn left and it's kind of a clear shot from there to the last push of the mountain. And so, uh, going up, we see the Alpen glow, uh, or we see the glow on the horizon, not quite Alpen glow yet. Cause the sun hadn't risen, but going up, the colors were changing and, uh, the moon was the moon was setting while the sun was beginning to rise, and it just felt right then so immensely planetary and just so a part of part of the earth, part of the trail herself, and part of the mountain. And so that was an experience that uh, I, I think kind of set a love for being on mountain, um, not summiting mountains, not peaking them or bagging them or whatever, but just being on within the mountain, um, itself. And so as we go up, I mean, kind of got gnarly with, uh, the final approach, but as we were up there, we had the entire summit to ourselves, which, I think anyone that has climbed yeah, Mount Whitney during the summer, like very few people can say that they've had a sunrise on Mount Whitney for two and a half hours by themselves. Um, that was really, really, really special. So being able to like look down and see the headlands kind of like starting to make them their way up the Perspective that we had come up and looking down into Owen's base or Owen Basin and 
seeing the lights of Lone Pine and Independence and um, just kind of the stretch that that feels the corridor that feels so familiar to me now, but it was so new. Um, so from Lone Pine up to Lee Vining and up to Tahoe, like that entire uh, just Eastern stretch of this era feels so home to me now. But from there, I'd never, at that point, I'd never been down to Independence or I'd never been down to Bishop before. And so, Yes, it was a very special experience to me then, but now, in reflection, it means even more. So. How long did it take you guys? Because if if I'm if the numbers are correct, you left at twelve thirty a.m. So how long right. did it take you guys to get up there? I believe we're at the top at four thirty. This was like wow. two and a half years ago, so I don't really remember, but I believe. Our goal was 4:30, and we made it up there by 4:30. Um, and then, one of my favorite things about this is, almost exactly one year later, I was going up Mount Whitney with my dad, um, finishing the JMT. It was his first long distance hike, and being able to share this spot that meant so much to me with the person that means the most to me was an experience I'll obviously never forget, but that just continues to impact just the way I approach nature and approach relationships too. It's like, okay, how can I share experiences with others? Which seems counterintuitive to my trip this summer because a lot of it was solo, but I also learned how to, even in a solo hike, learning how to share that with others. Whitney has branded you. Yeah, it has, and it's it's a it's a beautiful mountain, and it's an it's an, by mountaineering standards, it's a walk up, but um, it's a walk up that kind of yeah, it's a, a different type of course for me. And love for mountains, so I'm grateful for yeah. it. Is there anything that you feel like we should talk about that we haven't yet? What do you think? I like that. I like that question. Um, yeah, I think there's, do you want me to name the topic or do you want me to kind of go for it? Go for it. Uh, okay. Um, there's something, one of the things I've learned the most from through hiking and especially just continuing to through hike and continuing to hike is having to, shift my perspective of beauty and of the things that spark wonder and having to kind of shift a perspective from just being awed and dazzled by kind of that macro level of beauty. So like the mountain passes and these big peaks and these large forests and these things that kind of are the big, the, the photo moment and the, the big right. backdrop. But those things also, like real talk, those things get kind of dull after a while, and they and they they become routine because they they're your surrounding and they're they are the walls of your home. Even if you're in a new spot every single day, every single mile, the familiar of it can just become it. It's a little sad in a few ways, but one thing that I've learned a lot is having to shift kind of like a 
a standard of beauty from big mountain passes to the micro things and looking at patterns in rocks and looking at wildflowers, even like budding of wildflowers. There's 80, just the small things and uh, realizing that these small things really require the same response, um, the same heart response as the macro things. So um, kind of training myself to be just as amused as the budding wildflower as the glacier covered peak um, or glacier covered mountain. And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to learn, but it's one thing that has been so valuable in my life, especially in the transition back to the traditional, because being in Austin, there's no, I mean, there's mountains in West Texas, but like (laughs) Austin, it's freaking flat and it's dry and there's a lot of, yeah, there's like springs and lakes and stuff, but it's not, it's not the great divide. And so as I shift back, it's like, okay, how can I find the same amount of amusement as I did on trail in the everyday and the same type of like wonder and spark that I find out there. And, um, yeah, these everyday moments. So that's something I continue to learn, continue to press into because, um, I, I get into weird head spirals when, when I don't, um, and when I make beauty, um, really objective. What was the moment or the, the thing that reminded you of that or first awakened you to that? I had to find a solution when I moved back to Austin after the PCT. I, when I got back to Austin, post-trail depression merged really well with my clinical depression and sent me into um, some really frustrated and kind of hopeless state. And so realizing I I didn't have another option because I couldn't afford just routine trips out West. I couldn't just keep on going to the Cascades. I couldn't wait until through hiking season or hiking season to come back around. And I I had to find beauty in that same type of thrill of beauty and wonder in December in Austin, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it, I I think it, it took a while, but um, it, it happened. And, it's something because I, I know that and I've experienced that. I have to repeat it out loud basically to keep that hope alive whenever, you know, when I get back to Austin here next week and kind of really settle in for the longer term, it's like, okay, yes, the beauty is still, still there. And it's just kind of how I've trained my eye to put, yeah, put like a level of beauty on things. How has the trails and your experience of the trails helped or hindered your mental health? I can, I can see, you know, obviously, and this is a common theme that I hear from a lot of people, you know, you get out on the trails and it's, 
scary. And so you have the fear and you have the scare and you get over that. And that is very helpful. And you have this beautiful community and that is very helpful. And, you know, but there are also the struggles of being on the trail that are challenging, which we've kind of talked about. Um, And then there is the coming off of trail. And there's also the struggles of that, which is why a lot of people end up going back to the trails. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a hopeless cycle for sure. Yeah. Um, How has that been for you? Looking at, looking at my past self. um, So looking at 23 year old Andrew before the PCT. um, Does he feel like so long ago? It it feels, it feels like yesterday. It feels like forever ago. That's a cliche for sure, but it's, when I think back to myself before in like the, the friendships that I just can't imagine my life without some of the friendships and experiences I've had. Um, so that's why it feels so long ago. Um, but then it feels like just yesterday because really like two and a half years isn't that long. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, when I think back to that, I, uh, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to beat up on my past self period because there's still so much growth that was happening. And I'm like so proud of that person as well. Your, your past self got you onto the PCT. Yeah, exactly. And, and got me through so much shit before that too. And, and so many fun, beautiful life things um, outside of long distance hiking. So I, I, I think it's really important that like long distance hiking is not the is not the cream de la cream of life experiences. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. I yeah, so I, I think I just look at this beautiful journey over the past two and a half years, and I see a, a mental health that's developed and that's become. Hmm, so hmm, I'm trying to put this in the best words. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's messy. Um, if you don't want to talk about it, that's perfectly fine too. No, no, I, I, I do. Cause I, I think it's, it's really important. Um, yeah, I, I love myself a lot more than I did in March, 2017 before I started long distance hiking. I believe in myself a lot more than I did in March, 2017. Um, I'm way more comfortable with myself as well. I'm able to let joy and pain and frustration and all these complex emotions and able to approach them. Um, sometimes with a level head, sometimes not, but I'm able to approach them. Whereas before, if something was a little bit more complex or a little bit more dark or yeah, a little bit, a little bit tough, I kind of like put it in the box. I'm like, okay, let's table this for now. Andrew, you're this positive guy. Let's, let's be positive and let's, let's put on a smile because you're, you're good at smiling. And you're good at like making things happy. And like, yes, it's good, but that's not a sustainable approach. And so I think I've, over the past two and a half years 
work towards a more sustainable mental health and being able to approach the tough things, being able to approach when I feel like shit because I've post told for forever and I don't feel adequate or I don't feel enough or I don't feel like I'm, even if I feel like a kind of this imposter syndrome, I'm able to approach it and communicate with those thoughts instead of tabling them because they feel sad or they feel, yeah, they feel like they shouldn't be there. I'm able to talk to myself and say, Hey, why are you having these feelings? Let's, let's talk it out. So long distance hiking has opened this has helped. Yeah. Long distance hiking has helped open a communication with self that has improved my mental health and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. It's, I, I look at the GDT specifically in my time on there and just the world's difference that, that I approached. Yeah. My, myself then in time solo that I don't think I would have been able to do that two years ago. So it's, open up that level, that line of communication itself, which improves mental health, but also it's this kind of like short-term hurt as well. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And it's interesting to me, for me, that, you know, it's almost like, and not to give the trails a a literal presence, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, It's almost like they're giving you what you can take in the moment. It's, I guess it's a little bit like the military, you know, they're breaking you down to build you up. Right. That's, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's a workout, right. And it's just, I mean, the brain is a muscle. And so if you look at, I, I never really was, want to like hit the gym but like looking at how like muscles break down wanting to get stronger and it's 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 tough but it's they are making me stronger and i i see that in as as time grows i'm able to um i'm able to see it one of one analogy i use quite a bit is when when you celebrate a birthday, so many people ask you, and it's kind of a joke, but they say, like, hey, do you feel older? And say, like, no, <laughs> feel pretty much the same as yesterday, but yeah, I guess on paper I am a day older uh, or a year older. Suddenly you're a year older. Yeah. yeah, you're like, what? But no, like, really, I'm just the same as I was yesterday, but sure, I'm... 26 now instead of 25 or I'm 40 now instead of 39, whatever. And yes, like you are older, but I think you're, you see those differences played out over time. And so that's how these trails are for me. Um, in the immediate, I kind of feel the same as I did a couple months ago, but I also, I feel the weight of the season and I, I know that I will see subtleties play out over time in the way that I respect react and the way that I respond 
two different situations and different relationships. So yeah. I'm grateful for it. It would be interesting for you when something in the future, a year from now, five years from now, whatever it is, plays out, as you say, and something in your brain kind of taps you and says, remember that moment in XYZ, you know, on the trail, that's what that moment was preparing you for. Right. Yeah. And I think it, what a gift it would be to be able to recognize that and know that, you know, this, this acute moment on trail prepared me for this, but in reality, it, it probably won't. I just have to trust that these experiences are building me up for something greater. And I, 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 I do truly believe that. So it's a joy. Yeah. Well, and speaking of something greater, where can people follow you? Where should people find you if they have questions or want to follow your something greater journey? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think on Instagram would probably be the best bet. I was a little bit off it, but I'm back on. I think I'm here for the long run. So, um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's my handle is just my name with an underscore at the end. So Andrew Glenn G L E and then underscore and then I have a website that I will update with more drill things and hopefully a video and kind of, uh, yeah, art prints and all of the things. And my website is still outside.com and feel free to reach out either on Instagram or send me a message at Andrew at still outside.com. Beautiful. I'm, I'm glad that we, that we could make this happen and thank you for sharing the, uh, yeah. the good and the bad yeah of course anytime speak a little louder and when you find ourselves wishing that we could make a bigger change find a better way show notes and links for Andrew's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Andrew for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, I'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. If you like what we're doing here, We'd also appreciate it if you'd find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.